Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Jim Weir. When he was drinking, alcohol meant everything to him. It was his best friend, his saviour and would ultimately favour over everyone and everything. But now, living on the Isle of Man and three years sober, Jimmy shares his dark days of drinking, but also how he totally turned his life around by giving up the booze. Don't forget, I'm partnering with Coach Helen Bennett, who helps people with their disordered eating, and she's now offering all of my listeners 10% off of any of her courses, classes and private coaching programs. You can go to her website at helenbennett.co and enter the promo code SOBERDAVE to claim your discount now. So hello Jimmy, welcome to my podcast One for the Road. We've known each other for quite a while now on the gram, but we've never actually spoken, so it's been a real pleasure to meet you today, mate, and you're all the way from the Isle of Man, right? Yeah, Dave, I mean, as you say, we've we've been kind of following each other for for a couple of years now, but it's great to finally chat, to get to see you face to face. And yeah, just thank you for having me on. You know, it's it's, it's an honour. So thank you. Uh, Over in the island just now from Scotland originally, you know, you can hear me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You've got a really nice Scottish accent, actually. Um, I, I, I do love accents, but you've got a gentle Scottish accent to me anyway. So thank you, Dave. Yeah, I mean it's a south side of Glasgow, which we'll go into in a bit. But yeah, it's not it's not your Rab Nesbitt accent, but uh, <laughs> people, people can tend to understand me a bit more of what because I've lived in England for a lot of years. So yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, as we know, you've been binging my podcast in the last couple of weeks. You're a gardener, so you have got a bit of time in the day. So you know how it works. We like to strip it all the way back. And where did it all begin for you, mate? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? How was that for you? Yeah, thanks, Dave. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, as I say, I've been, I've been smashing the podcast. And, you know, when I do, when I do, when I've done main shares at, at, at kind of NA or CA, um, you know, you, 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 I, I, when I got sober first, I tried to kind of find some trauma. Was I looking for trauma in the past that caused me to kind of become, uh, you know, with a drink problem? Um but no, I, I was born in Glasgow in 1980, so I'm 43 now. Um, you know, but grew up in the south side of Glasgow in a, in a little village called Eaglesome. And it was it was a great childhood. Um, my mum and dad split up when I was six. Um, there was obviously, you know, a bit of uh, fighting with them. Um, but you know what? Like, looking back, I did have a, I had a great childhood growing up. Um, my mum got remarried. My dad got remarried. So, we, you know, there was a stable family life. You know, I did see my dad. Uh, that kind of tailed off when I when I kind of got into my my teenage years because you know that's that's kind of what teenagers are about. You don't really want to hang about with your parents, but but to be honest, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't any major trauma 
uh, with me growing up. And uh, to be honest, the, the drinking came around. Uh, so it was me, me and my brother and my mum for many years. You know, it was a single single parent. Um, but, you know, she she worked. She worked all the kind of hours that God sent to provide for us. So, as I say, we were we were looked after and we weren't for, you know, struggling for anything. When I got to, I think I was about 14, uh, Dave, when I when I had my first drink. And uh, I actually remember it. My brother's a couple of years older than me. He's two and a half years older than me. And he, he was supposed he must have been about 16, going on 17 at that point. And if folks had gone away and he was drinking some of their vodka and orange, you know, from the kitchen, swiped it. And, uh, and he offered me one. And I think I had like two large vodkas and oranges and then... That was me. Do you know what I mean? Probably had some. I mean, I remember having fun and all that, and then and then waking up the next day just with like a banging headache. And I don't think I drank for uh, probably probably about maybe I, I don't know six months or something. But then people were doing it at school. Me and my mates were like, right, we want to get involved in this. Do you know what I mean? That was it. We we were like, right, we need to. Everyone else seems to be doing it, um, so let's get some booze in at the weekend. I think it was a bonfire night or something. That was always a big night round round our kind of towns and that. Um, we went and got some diamond white, uh, you know, four bottles of that or whatever it was. That was that was kind of the classic one. I think I remember drinking them all completely. Excuse my friend, shit faced, puking, doing all that. But Dave, I enjoyed the buzz. Do you know what I mean? I was that was me. I was I was hooked on it. It was like after that, it was just every weekend. I think we, I think we kind of uh, progressed from the diamond white to a big bottle of Mary Down. I don't know if you remember Mary that. Mary Down cider, yeah. Mary Down cider. So instead of having five like, percent, I, I I remember all the percentages. Yeah, exactly. What was the percentage again? It, um, well, diamond white was eight point two percent. Mary Down was seven point five percent. So it was a little bit less, but also... So we were downgrading. Downgrading, but one bottle. So yeah, litre thing. Out. Yeah, litre thing. But then, Dave, see, so then I upgraded. Me and my friend, uh, no names, me and my friend upgraded to what we'd get was we'd get a glass bottle of Iron Brew and then we'd pour half of that out and get a half bottle of Smirnoff and pour that in. So we just had one bottle of ginger, as they call it, bottle of brew, and... That was, do you know what I mean? I, I progressed quite quickly onto like the kind of hard stuff and yeah. quite a lot of it as well. So that was about 15, 16. Now, looking back, my folks were like, oh, you're you're hanging around. Because I got caught. You know, I got caught a lot. Yeah, you're, you're coming in steaming drunk. You're not kind of going to get away with it. And the folks were always like, oh, you're hanging about the wrong people. Now, I, I was one of the instigators. Do you know what I mean? Let's Let's be honest. We weren't. We weren't bad to the core. We weren't out robbing and 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 fighting. We were just we were just kind of, I suppose we were a bit grungy, you know, a bit rocks rock rock music and all that kind of stuff. We weren't like we were, we were more kind of like into like peace and love, man. Do you know what I mean? We're happy yeah. to start smoking weed. Wasn't we weren't being getting into fights and scraps and and robbing, as I say. But you know, my mum was like, "No, you're hanging about the wrong people." But looking back, it was me that was instigating. Then it was like, so we, we were smoking weed by that point, and then. And then there was some microdots were 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 brought onto the scene, um, you know. And this is this is going on through like fifteen, sixteen, to about seventeen. St- still, I didn't leave school till uh, you know, I was about seventeen, um, and that was just like every weekend. It was what can we get our hands on? You know, was it speed? Was it was it um, 
I, I, I remember I always said to myself, right, I'm never going to do pills because they seem to be like the hard stuff. Do you know what I mean? It was like heroin was just completely off the scale. That wasn't even a thought in, in my process at that point. But to me, it was like, right, speeds, that's it. Uh, I'm not going to do coke. I'm not going to do pills. And then I got into, you know, the kind of club scene. And then that was right out the window. Do you know what I mean? Like, we started going to this club in Glasgow when I was about 15, I think. And that was the thing. I remember you talking to, I think it was Mark Addersley at the beginning. You, you know, people didn't ideas. They didn't do anything. And I'm, you know, I'm six foot three and I was quite tall for my age back then. I had stubble when I was about 15, 16. So, like, people were getting me, older lads were getting me to go in and buy their booze in the shop. So it wasn't, it was like this badge of honour. Do you know what I mean? Looking back, it's ridiculous because, like, I know, I know mates of mine now that have got, you know, 15, 16 year old kids, and you think they're children. How can yeah. they be going in and get? They, they, I, I'm, I'm glad that the kind of licensing laws have clamped down and kids can't go in and do that. But for us back then, you know, we were going into clubs in Glasgow, which should have been, they weren't unders, they were, they were over 18 clubs. One was called the Rat Trap, and it was like a goth, grunge, rock kind of club. So anything went. You could obviously smoke in clubs in those days. So it was just, to me, it was heaven at the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Everyone was in there was pretty much underage from school or whatever. And it was just a place where you could go in and get get away with it. You could buy stuff at the bar and no one was hassling you, you know. Um, obviously, there was fights and stuff, but we tended to stay away from that. And then, as I say, uh, you know, I started getting into the, you know, the club scene, the dance music scene. Um, and then and then it was pills and coke. And <laughs> I was I was thinking back about, um, you know, my kind of. I suppose when I when I was doing the pills and the coke and uh, the weed, and it was at a kind of recreational pace. Do you know what I mean? And the booze wasn't involved at that point, so I'd kind of, I'd kind of kind of grown out of that. You know, the, the drinking at the park and all that. Yeah, we'd go to the pub, like maybe on a come down, have a few pints, but the drinking had been ramped up during my my, my school years. But then when I kind of went to college, and I, and I did a bit of college here and there. We we'll, we'll go into that later, but. It was mostly for me, it was just going out the weekends, finding different people, groups of friends and all that and going out. And that that was literally what my life was about, you know, my, my late teens, early 20s. And it was, it, it the drinking definitely was there, but it wasn't as bad as it had been when I was at school, if that makes sense. Because I was, I was cleaning it at school. Um, and then, as I say, the drugs and the weed and all that was there, but it wasn't, it was never a problem. Um, and then I think at about 22, I remember... I had all my mates around my house at my little flat that had a little bedsit thing and we were smoking weed. And I think I told a joke or something not funny, but it was like, they all started laughing. And then I was like, why are they laughing at me? Like, what, what have I, do you know what I mean? What have I done? What's, what's going on here? And it was a paranoia. So I thought I'm knocking the weed on the head. Um, and I think I laid off the, the kind of pills for a while and just started drinking again. You know, and then I was, I'd started another college. I think I was up in Aberdeen at this point. Um, and I just, again, like needed to get away from, from, uh, Glasgow scene. And my parents had moved up there. So I moved with them. And, um, and yeah, so just started college. People were going out at lunchtime, having the odd pint here, there. And then, and then for me, it was, it really did ramp up through my twenties because all I was doing was finding people that we, I would go and drink with me. You know what I mean? I'd have my mates that were at the weekend, then I'd have my college mates, then I had uh, my uni mates that I lived with because they were in the flat. So there was always people that I could find. All of these people weren't doing that all the time because they had they had work, they had uh, 
you know, they had to study, they had girlfriends or whatever. But for me, it was like just finding people like pretty much every night of the week. I don't know. Looking back, I don't know how I afforded it. I did have a job. I worked in a pub. Um, you know, looking back, was was the pub work probably the best thing for me? No, not really. But again, I was I was kind of just, as I say, I would go out on some nights and just get completely blackout drunk. But it wasn't always the way. Do you know what I mean? It was it was kind of slowly, slowly kind of getting hold of me. I think um, I lost my license. I think I nearly lost my license up in up in Aberdeen. But I knew the coppers and they said, listen, I'd slept in my car overnight because I knew that I couldn't go home like this. So I'd, st- I'd slept out in my car out in the countryside. Unbeknownst to me that where I'd parked was the bottom of someone's driveway. So obviously they woke up in the morning and seen this random car right down. I just thought it was like a lay-by somewhere. So these coppers came to the car and uh, woke me up and breathalyzed me. And it was it was way over the limit, even the next day. So they said, right, we're not going to do anything to you, but just walk home. I think it was about three miles from my house. So I walked home. As soon as I got home, I turned around and walked back and thought, right, the coppers will be gone and I'll be sobered up. So I did that. Didn't really learn a lesson. I mean, I think I'd, I think I, I didn't do the drink driving that often that back then. That was, that was a situation where I was going to stay at someone's house and then it didn't work out and, you know, ended up having to drive home. Um, but that was, so that was up in Aberdeen. Uh, working in pubs and, and blah 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 then I was 22 and I moved down to Cambridgeshire my folks again had moved down there so I was like I'd, I'd spent a bit back, bit of time back in Glasgow but wasn't really enjoying it not making a lot of money and thinking what am I doing so they said right come and come and stay with us for a bit that was that was what I kind of continued to do it was like right I'll go back and stay with the folks and, and live a bit rent free do you know what I mean because I wasn't I wasn't mature enough to work out my finances at this point because I was still going out every weekend. Do you know what I mean? Some people go, well, I'm not going to come out tonight because I need to save for this. That wasn't kind of an option for me. It was just like, I'm going to go out. So I moved to my post, started working a couple of jobs. One was in a bar again, which always seemed to be one of my mainstays. And this went on for about a year. One night I was coming home from the pub and it was always a couple of pints at the end of the night. Um, I must have been about 20, 22 at this point. And um, coming home, I think there'd been a fallout with a, with a girl I'd been seeing or something like that. So I went round, I went home the long way to try and find her. So I'd go around this ring, ring road and it was in Huntingdon down in Cambridgeshire. And um, I got pulled. That was it. And uh, they, they breathalyzed me, pulled me in. And uh, that was it. Do you know what I mean? Lost my license for two years six months off for, for the, the course that you have to do and all that. And now the reason why I, the, re, the so because one of the jobs I was doing, I was working in a warehouse and I, and I was a forklift driver. So I had to cross a main road with this forklift. So you needed a license for it. When I told them that I'd lost my license at the weekend, they were like, we, we, we can't, we can't employ you anymore with this, this job. So I was like, right. So I saw this as a chance to kind of change my life around Dave. And I was like, I really liked the bit of photography that I'd done in college in Aberdeen. Never finished the course, but I did one bit of it, and it was it was what I enjoyed. So I thought, right, let's find a, a photography course. So I found one in Huntingdon, and you know, looking looking back from for now, it's ridiculous, but I was always going, oh, you know, this this was like a wake up call, and it changed my life because if I hadn't been drinking and lost my license, I would never have done photography, and that was kind of how I, you know, I'm not. 
I'm not obviously kind of debating that because I love my photography and I still do that now. But I was kind of like, yeah, you know, this was my rock and roll lifestyle and that's how I got into photography. So for me, it was great because I didn't have a license, so I could just drink all the time. And again, it was college during the week. You know, we were I was in there three days and then I was working the rest of it in a music video shop and in the pub. And it was it was all right. It was all right. I did have to rely on lifts a lot, so I didn't go hell for leather. Uh, cut to a couple of years later, I, I did graduate. I got I got my HND in photography, um, and then I moved into Cambridge, and I got this job working in a photography place. You know, I was I was doing I was doing still life. It was basically product shots for an online bag retailer, and I was loving it. My life was just set. Do you know what I mean? I thought I'd made it. I was like not doing any creative photography, not really trying to kind of up my game. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, I just settled basically. And I was like, right, this is, this is it. I was making good money. I then was living in a, a great little flat with some, some good guys. And they were all, one guy in particular loved a little bit of the old nose bag. And, uh, and I love my drinking. And we just used to mix that on party after party after party. We'd have so many people around and it was, you know, it was, it was good times, but it did, it did take its toll. You know, I continued to do that for, for many years. He moved out the flat and I'd get more people in and then it would continue. They'd move out and then, you know, and it was kind of just this, this party flat and it was, it was great, but. You know, I started getting, I was remembering this today, a colleague at that company, which is called eBags, a colleague of mine gave me the book Million Little Pieces by James Fry. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Like a classic kind of book. And she said, oh, I think you'll like this book. It might resonate with you. Now, I did not know what she was telling me at the time. I just read it and thought, that's a great book. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really realize that she was saying, I think you've got a problem. Yeah. Me. Do you know what it's I mean? It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I just came away and went, that's a really good book. Yeah, you know, Oprah's right and all that. And then put it on my bookshelf and and, and continued on. I, I don't know if she'd actually came and said to me, like, face-to-face, I think you've got a problem, whether I'd have listened then either. Yeah. But I was oblivious. You know, she's given me this book, which I've read since quite a few times, and it's a great book. And it really does hit home now what she was trying to tell me. But I was clearly just not, not listening. There was times when I was stopping... I would be phoning in. Do you know what I mean? It was a small little company and it was only, we felt like a little family. There was only about six of us in there. And there was times towards the end of that, about 2007, when I was just not coming in and not really letting them know where it was or what I was doing. So there was, that was about the time she gave me the book. I then went after a job in London. So I quit that and it was kind of, I'd started off so well in that company, but by the end it was just kind of, it was tainted, do you know what I mean? It was they gave me a bit of a send off, but it wasn't as much as enthusiasm as when we were all buddy buddy at the beginning. Yeah. So I could feel there was a kind of change in things, but again, I was I was oblivious to it being me that was the problem. Do you know what I mean? I just thought, oh, people are changing their 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 ways or whatever, and and it kind of looking back, you can see the kind of the the the, the attitude that people were having towards me. I guess they were kind of not telling me but they were kind of maybe moving away and and getting getting on with their lives do you know what i mean we're talking like i didn't change what i was really doing for about three or four years at that point people were getting married people were settling down i was going to weddings i was going to weddings up in glasgow and i was doing um you know stag do's out in prague all of these types of things but not actually moving on myself having relationships but then kind of going oh you know 
am I happy with this person? Are they stopping me from doing what I really want to do, which was basically get off my head? Yeah. Um, and so I would just jump from relationship to, to relationship. And there was no kind of real happiness in that. And the only happiness was drinking. Do you know what I mean? So I would, I would at that point, when I'd left e-bags and I'd went after this job in London, which turned out to be crap. So then I was sitting in this flat and then I started working at an estate agent. So I was gone from being a photographer to then working in estate agents. Now, I have no problem with the estate agents at all. But that wasn't my chosen career. You know, I'd chosen to do photography, but now I'm driving around and, you know, scrimping and saving to get petrol before they give me the petrol money back to take people around student flats and this, that and the other. And it was it, it was horrible because like one day they, they said, oh, somebody said you you'd gone to show them around and you were you were smelling of alcohol. So we're going to put you on a warning. And I was like, oh, I don't need this in my life. Do you know what I mean? So I quit. And it was like so I was I was coming back home every night. And I lived above a co-op, and the co-op did three bottles of uh, wine. So you could have a red, a white, and a rosé. Do you know what I mean? You could have the full the full traffic lights, and it was three for a tenner. So it was like, this is great. So I would just sit up there in my room and uh, watch films, or, or you know, I was, I was trying to do a bit of web design. I thought it was being really creative. But the creativity was completely stemmed by the drinking, you know. Um, I would do a bit of coke when I could get it. But it was basically almost feeling like how the mighty had fallen you know i mean i'd had all these friends around me but they'd moved on and they were doing this i would see some of them every now and then there was never any bad blood but it was just like the days of the partying in that flat had well, just they, they of... grew up mate and then, you know what you you saying all this is so relatable to me because people were doing the same around my life they were moving on they were getting bored of the pub they were getting bored of the hangovers and they were moving on but i was staying stuck in my cycle and i really relate to the relationships moving one to the next because you get bored or they started criticizing your drinking they move on you know and i can really relate to your lifestyle as well with the with the tech free for a tenner i mean it's what a, a cheap night in isn't it yeah. you know and, and, and it was like the first bottle or two first bottle and a half was just literally wouldn't touch the sides like you know, you've been you. What was it they called you? The glugger or the glug? Glugs, yeah. Glugs. So that was it. It was like a big, big glass of wine. I'd have all the bottles there. I didn't even bother putting them in the fridge. The, the kitchen was literally next door, but I wouldn't even bother with that. They were out of the fridge in the co-op. They would be sat next to me. The first bottle or two would just go straight down, and then I'd get into the film or the TV show that I was watching, or or I'd have the music on, and I'd be pretending to not pretending to, but trying to write and do this and doing that, thinking I'm being really creative. But as I say, they didn't they didn't touch the sides, and then I'd wake up the next day feeling a bit rough, and I knew that I knew that three was my limit at that point. If I went to four, yeah. I would be rotten the next day. I'd be rotten. Sometimes I'd sleep through the alarm. So. Two was not enough, but three was just where I was at. That was I'd found that happy state. That's, that's really awful, wasn't it? Because that yeah. your tolerance was that high. Yeah. I was the same, mate. I so a box for me, I was devastated and had an argument in Sainsbury's because they put the three litre bottles down to two point two five. So the three litres were four bottles of wine, right? So and with boxes you don't monitor what you're drinking, you end up squeezing the bag out, don't you? So yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's crazy, but three bottles of wine a night is horrendous. Now you think of it, and you say you woke up feeling a bit rough. I mean, 
Well, no, but not rough enough. Do you know what I mean? If I if I exactly. four, I was, I was gone. But three, I was like, I can get up and do my day. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd get my brush, my teeth brushed. I'd do my mouthwash. I get up to work, and I'd have good banter, good crack. I was only twenty seven, so I could kind of do it. But I shouldn't have been drinking three bottles of wine a night at that at that time. And I remember, I remember this is still quite vivid. I remember thinking some nights I'd be walking home and I'd be going, "You've been drinking solidly now for about." it'd be like three weeks or then you've been drinking solidly now for about three months. And then you, you have you been drinking? And I've been having these little words with myself. Like, and I was like, I've been drinking solidly for about six months. Like this is every night. So these are yeah. just my weekly nights, like the three bottles of wine. And then the weekend would be going out with people or, you know, whatever down in the town. And then, you know, whatever there else was, maybe Coke or pills, but it was, it was, having these little conversations with myself going, wow, that's really quite a lot, isn't it? But not doing anything about it. You know, it's yeah. like maybe a little angel on the shoulder going, actually, do you know what? That's quite a solid lot of drinking. And then just kind of completely uh, know, whatever, just yeah. not thinking about it. So then basically I was just kind of in a bit of a mess. I'd found a group of people that were, I was quite close to and we were a bit of, you know, drinking a lot of solid drinking. And then, I was sat one night, and do you know what? I think I'd put this out of my mind, and I've, I've been writing stuff down all week, and uh, this just came back to me. Um, I was I was sat in the in the flat one night. I think it was it was about eight o'clock or something, and I'd only had about a bottle or two, and I jumped in the car and I drove to Stansted. I packed a lot of stuff and I drove to Stansted, and I had a bit of cash in the bank, and uh, and I booked a flight to Mallorca. This was November, and I just I'd had enough. I'd had enough of the UK, and I'd I'd been watching that Into the Wild. Do you know the film about? Oh, it's a fantastic Christopher film. McCandless. And I was I was really resonating with that that he just wanted to bugger off. But I was Alaska, like, well, wasn't what? it? Yeah, where's my Alaska? I was like, well, do you know what? I might just go down to Mallorca and see if I can get a job for the winter. And just do you know what I mean? And it was for me, it was like. This is going to be a new start. This is going to be something new for me. And so I just, I, I basically jumped on a plane. Didn't tell anyone, not even my flatmates or nothing. Wasn't even thinking about who was going to pay my rent. Just jumped on a plane, got to uh, Palma or wherever it is, and then went and found like a little hotel or something like that. And But this time, most of my money was gone because I've been drinking on the plane. I was drinking when I got there. I found these little this little bar the next night and uh, went and started speaking to some of the expat locals and they were like, you're not going to find a job at this time of year. This is Mallorca. Like, it's 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 finished at this time of year. And I was like, oh, but there must be something, you know, a bit cleaning this. And they were like, there's not really, they were like, you could try, but it's not, it's not what you're imagining in your head. So anyway, so I continued drinking, got in, I think I got in a bit of a scrap the next night, blacked out, woke up, I'd lost my laptop, my camera, uh, everything had been nicked off me. Um, by this point, I think I still had my phone and my brother had been trying to get me and uh, he eventually got hold of me and he was like, what, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what, what's, what's your plan here? And I was like, I don't know, mate. I've, I've literally not got any idea. And he goes, right. He goes, I'll, be, I'll get you a flight home. Because I had nothing at this point. He got me a flight home. Um, and then the next thing was right. I'm I'm done with Cambridge because I'm just I'm just wasting my my time here. Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't want to be there. I didn't really want to be doing anything. And they were like, "Come over to Isle of Man because he was he was living over here." He said, "Come over to Isle of Man and we'll get you we'll get you sorted out." Do you know what I mean? So I was like, "Okay, okay." 
So that took a couple of months, I think, and then I drove, drove, got my car, drove over here, uh, got the ferry over here, and it was just like, you know, I'd had, I had a good old couple of leaving dues and all that. Um, by this point, I don't think I was, I must have been on a bit of withdrawal, but I didn't know what that was at that point. So I just dealt with the hangovers or the withdrawal and got through it. It couldn't have been as bad as I, you know, latterly had. Um, but there must have been something there because I was drinking pretty solidly. Do you know what I mean? There must have been a withdrawal, but I kind of, you know, went through it. And I guess at 27, 28, it's, it's not as dangerous. I mean, it's still dangerous. I know it is, but it, it, I didn't have seizures at that point or anything. Anyway, I got to the Isle of Man. Um, and that was good. That was good for a while. Uh, my brother would only let me, dr- not, not only let me drink in the house. He was like encouraging me to drink only in the house. Do you know what I mean? He was like, if you do go out, just be careful because obviously you're here because you've been drinking too much. And I was like, no, no, that's good. I got into a bit of fitness um, over here. I did a marathon. So I was still drinking, but I'd managed to kind of curb it a little bit. Um, I was going out, you know, I worked in a bank um, and it was, there was a big drinking culture, but I was getting sidetracked by a lot of my fitness stuff and doing hiking around the island. And the island seems to have that kind of, I don't know, kind of hold on me because obviously that's what I'm doing now. And I haven't been here continuously since then. So that that kind of went good for about the first six months to the year. And then they got a hold of me again. Do you know what I mean? It was like the party atmosphere at Barclays, um, bit of coke here and there, this, that, and the other. The island, the island is considered to be what they call it, they say like 60,000 alcoholics clinging to a rock. And I used to find that quite funny back then. I hate that saying now. I hate seeing people with a T-shirt on them, but I think it's just, it's not even funny. But back then it was, oh yeah, I'm one of them, you know. And it was, it was kind of that. I started, I'd, I'd, I'd started up a relationship with an old friend of mine that I knew from Cambridge and she was living in London. So we would, I would get flights to do my job back to London and she was coming over here. So we, we kind of did this long distance relationship and she was a big drinker as well. So again, the whole Isle of Man thing back then, this would have been 2010. Kenny came to a head with my job because I was just not showing up. I was starting, I'd started to drink cough medicine at that point, cough syrup, you know, for, for my morning, I guess, withdrawal because I was feeling like shit and I thought I need to get into work. And then I'd read somewhere that if you drink cough syrup, cough syrup, you know, you, you're getting the buzz from it. And then it was perfect because they couldn't smell the alcohol on me. So it was like, this is a winner, you know, I can keep up my buzz all day um, and then drink in the evening. So that that happened for a while, lost my job. Girl in London said, why don't you just come over here? So I jumped, I, I, I booked my flight. No, I booked, what did I book? Yeah, I booked a ferry. I was going to get a ferry. I had all the trains booked to get down to London. Had a leaving do from all my Barclays lot. Got completely shit-faced, so missed, missed my, my ferry. And then had to spend all the money I had in the bank on getting a flight over to Stansted and then and then down to London. So by the time I got to London to meet up with this girl, and it was like we're going to make this new life, I'd, I'd barely a penny to my name. You know what I mean? And again, that was that was down to drinking. And this was me meant to be starting this relationship where we're both in the same town, and it was and just there's a pattern like, there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I was, and again, Dave, I wasn't learning. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think. I think in the back of my mind, I knew there was a problem, but I wasn't, no one had, no one had said to me, do you think you've got a drinking problem? So because no one had said it to me, and I'm not blaming other people, I'm just saying because no one had said it to me, 
it, it it wasn't real, you know. No, and and you kind of think, well, this is how I am, and this is our role, right? We almost champion it in a way, don't we? Oh my God, he's another cock up, and you know, I end up in New York with no money, end up in London with no money. What am I like? You know, making light of it. Yeah, but I always managed to get out of these scrapes. You know, yeah. it wasn't me that was getting myself out of the scrapes. It was like my brother. It was my folks. It was it was the girlfriend in London. Do you know what I mean? Come live with me. She had a good job. So it was like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll sort you out. We'll get you a job and this, that, and the other. And uh, so the London thing went on for about a year and a half. And then and then we broke up. Not just to do with the drinking, because there was a whole big drinking culture down there. Um, but we just, we just kind of drifted apart. And then... It was definitely partly to do with my drinking, but I decided to stay in London and I got a flat down in uh, South Battersea and that was me just left to my own devices because most of my pals in London at that point were her pals. I had a few of my own, but they were over the other side. So it was kind of like I just started going out to my local on my own because I used to do that a lot when I was younger. I would just go to spit and sawdust pubs you know, sit in a bar smoking and crack up conversation with, with you know, the old bar flies and that. And I, and I loved that. Um, so I would do that again, but I was just getting myself, you know, into some right states and not sure how I'd got home most nights. Again, phoning in sick to a new job that I'd had and just just not caring about it. And And that was the thing. I don't have that old school mentality that, like, say, you know, my dad has where it was like, no matter how drunk you get, you always go to work. You yeah. know, I just, I just, I wasn't bothered. I was like, eh, whatever, I'll find another one. And it, and it's, it's a, it was a bad attitude, but that's not me. That's not my attitude. That was just because it was like, well, that, that, that's the booze talking. Do you know what I mean? If, if that was, if the jobs were getting in the way of me boozing, then such is life. Um, I'll, I'll ditch the job. So anyway, then, then I moved to, uh, back up to my folks were in New York at this point. Now, now, this is this is where it gets confusing, not confusing, but actually quite sweet. My folks both got divorced from their prospective partners and then got back together in around 2008, 2009. So that was quite an odd Christmas that year when me and my brother came over and we're sat there Christmas Day opening presents. And it's like mum and dad. We're both grown men at this point. It's like yeah. mum and dad, what, what's going on here? Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's quite sweet. but um, But yeah, just madness. So I moved back in with them. That was the first time I think I'd moved in with my mum and dad since I was about six. I decided to go to uni. So I was, what, 30, 31, 32 at this point, and I decided to go and do film production at Leeds. First year was great. I did start, I met some people in the village that my parents lived in, and that was that was cool because it was like this little village pub. It was a Sammy Smith's pub, so cheap as chips, and there was a big drinking culture in this village. My My dad likes a drink, you know, he's he's never really had a problem with it. I think he's drank more than he should sometimes in his life, but he's never had a problem with it. And, you know, it was me bonding with my dad and meeting these other people in the village. So that was good. I had the village pub, a few friends there, that's that sort of, that's that good side of that. Then I've got my new uni mates in Leeds, that sorted. We, we're going out, they're all doing freshers week and all that. They're all, obviously, they're a bit younger than me, but it was like, yeah, you know, they're into their drinking again. So that was that was it. Life was good. First year done great. Um, second year, I met a lady, um, and she was my age, maybe a year younger. We uh, really just fell into this mad codependent relationship. Uh, she'd been uh, she'd been living in a house, but then she moved out of that, and then we got a flat together. 
Um, and it was just instead of like, well, there was first of all, there was three bottles for a tenner at our local shop. And then it was, uh, then we, then we went on to like the co-op whiskies and stuff. And it was just, you know, that was, that was it. It was a bottle of whiskey between us for the night, pretty much every night. And this is, this is how we went on. My uni suffered so much so that I just dropped out at the end of it, uh, in the third year. Um, you know, then, then had to go out and work. I started working as a porter, I think. So we, we were holding down the jobs, but we were just, we were just codependent. There was, I think there was a few times where we maybe said, Oh, I think we should give up or at least knock it on the head for a bit. And then one of us would cave and the other one would easily cave as soon as the other one did. So there was never, there was never any real strength in us giving up. At this point, we definitely knew that we, that we, that, well, I knew that I had a problem. But it was just, it was just crack on, carry on. This is my life, as you say, you know. Um, I didn't know any of the dangers at that point. Uh, you know, like alcohol is just as bad for you as smoking, but they don't tell you that. You know, they put a warning on it, which is drink responsibly. Now that's on you. That's not their problem. They've told you what's bad mate. about it. I know. It's here. It's the poison. You, it's your responsibility yeah. now, right? We, we're not. We, we don't, don't hold us accountable. We've told you that you need to drink responsibly. And if you don't do yeah. that, that's not on us. And I think that is such a cop-out. Cigarettes, you know I mean? they're behind the gantries now. You can't even see them. They, they, they've all got the, the warnings on them, this, that, and the other. Yeah. But alcohol, it's just a socially acceptable uh, choice. And it's your choice. And if you don't choose to do it well, then that's not our Yeah. So, so yeah, so I didn't know any of the, the dangers. I thought... I have a drinking problem. Um, I am managing to, to work. I'm managing to hold down a relationship. Um, so I'm okay. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm all right. We got, we, we got some cats and I've, I've still got the cats out of that relationship. I've still got Poppy here, who's quite famous on Instagram now. She's just prowling about now. She's been in 13 different homes with me. Wow. Now that's, that's, do you know what I mean? So she's quite, we've been in, I've been in this place now two and a half years. So that's like the longest she's been anywhere. So I think she's happy with that. Um, but that's like, you know, I never, I never saw her without anything. Do you know what I mean? Even in my worst states, I still managed to feed her. She was like my little rock. And then when I got sober, that was, that was it. So yeah, so that relationship lasted for about four or five years. I think that was my longest relationship. We moved around a lot. We both did a little bit of geographical, switched some jobs in the time. Um, we ended up in a pub hotel slash thing down in Derbyshire because she's from there. So we'd gone back to live with her parents for a bit. And then this job came up of basically me being a pub landlord. And I was like, OK. Uh, so at this point, we're, we're drinking solidly all the time when we're not working. Do you know what I mean? We're just we're just barely holding things together. And then I got offered a pub landlord job where it's live in this pub. A kind of situation. We were allowed to bring the cats. We had three cats at that point. That went on for about two months. Everything was fine. People were coming in. Yeah, I was having a few little half. Uh, I had a little half pint of Guinness behind the bar. I didn't want to be seen to be having a full pint. You know, it was I was topping it up all the time. Um, our bosses, the like the main bosses of this, it was like a punch tavern. Were out in like the west coast. They were over Manchester way, so they left us alone. That was it. People were starting to come back into this pub because they'd known me from working in the pub down the road. Um, but I was kind of drinking quite a bit behind the bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't super busy. So I was just chatting to the locals and, you know, being man about town and, you know, welcome into my 
my living room type thing and all that, you know. And uh, and obviously, I needed the the the, the kind of Guinness or, or whatever it was to kind of you know loosen it up and and this that and other. Anyway, that ended in absolute carnage, disaster. So the girl, the girlfriend at the time thought that she'd seen me doing something with another girl one night behind the bar, and that was complete absolute nonsense. She was deluded. She was seeing things. I don't know what what she thinks she saw. But she stormed out. We had this massive big fallout. We'd booked in a, a big open mic night the night next night. So that was all done. I was like the only member of staff that was working there. Hadn't really anticipated how many people were coming. And I was obviously distraught that she'd left and this, that, and other. So I'd been drinking during the day. Then everyone started descending on the pub. It got to the point where I don't even remember much of it but i remember looking over at the bar and people were literally just going behind the bar and pouring their own pints there was no oh money God. going in the hills at this point there was it was just a free-for-all in this place i'd, I'd kind of given up um and it, yeah there was there was uh, windows smashed and all that now my 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 girlfriend at the time and this other lady had got into a fight i think she'd coming down now the next day i woke up right i was on my own and I went downstairs. The place was, I mean, Dave, you don't want to even, I'm sure you can imagine, but it was, there was broken panel windows between the, the, the bar and the games room. There was just pint glasses everywhere. And there was a knock at the door. And this is Sunday morning, about 10 o'clock. There's a knock at the door. So I go and answer the door and it's the police. And oh, they're arresting oh. me. Oh. They're arresting me for assault. Now, I wasn't even, do you know what I mean? Anywhere near her. And, um, Basically, they took me down to the station and um, they went through it all and they were saying that she, she said that you were there and that you 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 hadn't hit her, but we wanted to find out about what was going on with this other girl. And I said, listen, there might have been an altercation between the two of them, but I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Um, I'll tell you now that I didn't I didn't raise my hands at all, um, this, that, and the other. And it was, eventually, it was eventually disbanded. She was just obviously trying to make a point and, you know, put the fear of life up me, which they obviously did. Um, the big landlords from the punch basically came through that afternoon or that the next day and <laughs> gave me my marching orders, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, decided to take my laptop and my camera, which I'd bought again since, you know, having lost it the time before. They decided to take that until I paid them back. I never paid them back because I couldn't afford it and I never got my camera and my, my laptop back. Anyway, that then leads us up to... About 2017, back living with my folks, uh, doing doing the odd job here and there, you know, doing a lot of temping work, and I liked the temping work because I could just go in and I would always seek out the drinkers, you know. I would I would seek them out. I mean, during this time, Dave, I had spent a bit of time on antabuse and I drank on antabuse, so I'd quit that. I'd gone and seen some counsellors. I, I had been kind of reaching out to people, but it was just more or less to... There was someone on on the pod on your podcast today. They were saying they just did it to appease people, and that's essentially what I was doing. It was basically to keep people off my back. And I was like, "Look at what I'm doing." And I, no, no, you know what? I've got I've got control on it now. I can do controlled drinking. So I'd go and get some beers and have beers in the house or in my room. But I'd actually have like a bottle of vodka in my bag that I'd smuggled in. Do you know what I mean? So it was it was it was just to appease people. And then and then met um, someone, and quite quickly. She became pregnant, and then we decided to move in. 
Um, and I was like, okay, you know what? I was at? I was about thirty eight at this point, and I was like, right, this is this is this is unplanned but awesome. You know, like this is this is my life is kind of. I need to get sober. And I need to kind not, not the words weren't. I need to get sober. It was more. I need to mature up a wee bit. I need to wise so life out. Things. Yeah, sort my life out because I've got a kid coming. Wasn't even thinking about quitting drinking, but probably not drinking as much. I don't think I was drinking as much with her at the beginning anyway, because I was doing a lot of um, running at that point again. So I was still drinking, but I hadn't really ramped it up as bad as it had been. So there was there was peaks and troughs definitely throughout my life. Um, I had uh, just moved in and we'd gone out to the theatre. She was just, we were due to go and get a 12 week scan on a Monday. Um, and then she had a miscarriage that night that I moved in. And I was starting well, my new job on a Monday, um, and it was just, it was, it was, it was horrendous. You know, she she had two kids from from a previous relationship, and they were they were quite. We did it wrong, basically, the way that we we moved me in. We didn't really explain. I'm not I'm not blaming her or me or whatever, but we did we didn't explain it to them that I was moving in. It was just kind of thrown on them, and then all this happened. They never obviously knew about the miscarriage, but for me, it was like suddenly to go from something that felt like this was going to be my life, you know, this was turning, you know, a turn in the road and I finally got something with a bit of meaning in my life because I hated all my jobs. I wasn't doing any photography. I wasn't doing anything worthwhile. I wasn't making anything or, or, you know, helping people. I was just basically doing office data entry stuff. So this felt like, some substance in my life you know and then to lose to lose it was just was just you know horrendous heartbreaking and and i i i drank on that of course i did you know um i think i went in a first couple of days i explained to them in the job what had happened and they were like well if you need to take some time so i took some time didn't i do you know what i mean i didn't even look back and i went um and started basically car drinking so i I'd leave for work in the morning. She would think everything was fine, and I would go and literally park around the corner and just sit there with my my little bottle of vodka, pour it into a bottle of water, and and yeah, that went that went on. Um, that went on pretty much our whole relationship. There would be times when I wasn't doing that, and I, and she she obviously knew at certain points, and we'd have a big blowout about it because the job had followed through, and then I'd be getting another one. So I definitely have moments of sobriety, and we definitely had happy times, do you know what I mean? But it would then just creep up on me again. You know, I'd, I'd look in the mirror and I'd go, ah, oh, do you know what? I'm, you're looking better. You're not looking great. You're looking healthy. Ah, this hasn't killed you yet, you know? So then that that that's it. You'd, you'd, you'd go and get a bottle of wine that night. And me and her would drink, you know, and that, that, was, that was fine. That's what we did. So she never really broached the idea of me being an alcoholic or a problem drinker. It was just something I needed to sort out and rein in. That was it. Because if because if I was an alcoholic, then that would mean she couldn't drink. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. she didn't want to admit that because she wasn't a big drinker. That wasn't it. But she she did enjoy a glass of wine here. You know, a couple of uh, bottles of beer. Um. So yeah. So that was that was kind of where we're at. And I would then. Yeah, there's times when I would get in a job and I would really enjoy it and I was going, right, you know, this is this is gonna be it, I'm gonna work hard in this. And then I would just I don't know, they the we'd have maybe a big night and then the next day I'd be feeling like shit and I would like, right, I need to I need to go and have a drink today. This is gonna be the last time. I'm gonna go and do this, I'm gonna do 
car drinking, and then I'll go to job tomorrow. Then that would turn into like two weeks of doing this, you know, without her knowing. And it was like, what am I doing? You know, why am I sat in my car, not really doing anything, just sitting, watching the time go down till I can go home? Then I would be coming home with like a bottle of wine. So I'd just be drinking that during the day to kind of stave off the withdrawal or, or whatever. And then and then I'd come in with a bottle of wine, but I'd also have a bottle of vodka in my bag. And that would go in the cistern or it'd go behind the stem of the toilet. Um and we'd be we'd be having I'd I would she'd she'd more often than not have a nap when she came in from work with the kids from school and then I'd come in the kitchen and start cooking. So I'd be like, right, glass of wine. So then she couldn't smell the alcohol that I'd had yeah. on during the day. Or there'd be the alternative, which I'd be doing the mouthwash. Now, took me a long while or quite quickly to realise that mouthwash is alcoholic and I wasn't just spitting out, I was drinking it. So if I drank it to, to wash it down, I was completely drunk here or mouthwash drunk. Do you know what I mean? It was it was insane. And then I worked out that I shouldn't really be swallowing this stuff. Um anyway, so that kind of went on and on and on. And then I felt I felt trapped because I was like, obviously I'm not happy in this relationship and I'm drinking and I didn't know where to go or what to do. My folks had moved over here at this point because my brother had two kids, or you only had one at that point, but they wanted to be with their grandkids. So I was, we were, me and the uh, girlfriend and the kids were due to come over here for my 40th. Uh, so that would have been 2020. Now there was little murmurings of some virus or, or whatever it was called coming from China at this point, but only, only just little rumors in that. So this was February 2020. And we drove from Hull to Haitian, which is a good two, three hours, I think. We just got to the services before Haitian and the car broke down and the ferry basically went. We couldn't get on it. Car, we had the AA out. We were there for like seven, eight hours waiting for this guy. My engine had fallen. So one of the manifolds or something like that had snapped and the engine had just dropped. And it was like, so we get towed back to. Uh, Hull. Now, sorry, I should have said that at this point, back in January, I'd stopped drinking. I'd been on, I'd gone to the doctors actually, and and they put me on uh, citalopram for my depression. Never asked me if I was drinking or how much I was drinking, which is another thing that annoys me about doctors and that they just they just they just put kill you, you up rather than yeah. put you on it. They don't say why don't you stop drinking for a month or this that. Yeah. I just said right here's your citalopram. So I actually took it upon myself to do dry January that year. And I think I think I did a few beers on my birthday, which was my 40th, but I was actually doing really well. And actually the Citalopram was working because I wasn't drinking. And I remember her daughter saying to me, why are you so happy? Like, what is wrong with you? And she was actually like angry because they were quite dark. And it was like, you should be, you should be miserable like the rest of us and all that. And I was like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, this is actually me. I'm quite a happy person uh, when I'm not drinking. So, so that I was quite excited about getting over to Isle of Man and seeing my folks. I hadn't seen them in about 18 months at this point. I then, we got back to, to Hull and I said to her, I said, I said, did I do all right? Did I step up? Did I get the family home? Do you know what I mean? I was, I was like, I was, I wanted a bit of recognition, but I felt quite proud of myself because we got in a stick, stick, sticky situation and I'd managed to step up and get us home. And she was like, yeah, you did. Well done. It's been an ordeal, but yeah, you, you, you did. And she goes, but I think we deserve a glass of wine. And I was like, kitchen. Yeah. 
So I went up to the shop and I got us two bottles of wine and then we drank them. We had actually a really, we'd had, we'd had some horrible times, but that night we actually did have a really, really nice night. We were reconnecting. We were having a laugh. I then went and got another cup. We had six bottles of wine that night. She was hanging the next day, but I was, I got up and I'd gone straight to the garage and got myself a little quarter bottle of vodka. So I was, I was tipped off. I was feeling fine. Do you know what I mean? I hadn't let myself drop below the, the, the sober level, as I call it. So I was kind of, I was all right. Um, but I then needed to keep doing that, Dave, because it got hold of me again. And I just kept on going and going and going so much so that I was like, listen i'm i'm leaving i'm leaving you i'm I, I can't do this anymore i'm just not happy and a friend of mine from scotland was now living in new york and he decided to he was like you can come and live with me you know if you want to get away and i didn't know whether i was completely just making a clean break or what i just knew that she was basically telling me to stop drinking and i didn't want to stop drinking at this point because it, i felt the clutches of it this time so I think it was I'd, I'd looking back because I'd had such a dry spell like that that was almost like a month or a bit that I'd had off of it and I think that was the longest I've ever had off of it and because I went back it like do you know what I mean it was like yeah. right we're not letting you go this time and that I went and stayed with him he was unhappy with my drinking him and her and my parents started talking then my brother was involved we were all like right something needs to be done because i was just i was just going out getting a bottle going up to my room there i was sometimes hanging out with him but mostly it was just drinking 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 they then i went awol for a for a day i went into leeds and i lost my phone so everyone thought i'd just kind of gone awol and they couldn't find me there was like a police report put out people were looking for me on facebook uh friends from scotland were getting involved and everyone was like where are you and then showed up um and then I managed to find my phone again and they were like, right, you're 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 going you're going to this, you know, um detox facility in Blackpool. So I basically got a taxi to Blackpool, drinking the entire way, because when I got back from Leeds I had this bottle of vodka still there. Got into this rehab centre, like bowled in on a Sunday when they were having their family day, because COVID hadn't really struck at this point. And uh, bowled in with this bottle of wine going, hey, what's going on? And it was like, they were like, you can't drink in here. And I was like, what do, what do you mean I can't drink in here? They were like, this is a rehab facility. My mind was absolutely puggled. I didn't know where I was or what I was doing. I just thought there's more people here and they'll want to drink with me. No. So they said, you can't drink in here. I said, well, can I go and finish it out in the street? And they said, yeah. So I went and finished my bottle of wine out in the street, came in, spent four or five horrendous days on Librium, um, basically detoxing. Um, the facility was very empty at that point. There was two people, there was a guy and a girl, um, and they and basically me me and them two, and they were both on there like 24 or 25 days. So they were coming to the end of their time there, and they looked healthy, they looked happy, and I was just like, and I'd started smoking again at this point, so it was like something to do in there. So we would all go out and we'd sit and have fags and they were telling me, you know, this is a good, this is a good center and this, that, and the other. Anyway, they both left that week while I was just like in my, in my bed feeling like crap. Didn't eat for about two or three days, but you know, 
we recover and we start feeling better and we start eating. And then other people started dribbling in to the centre. Um, some of which, you know, well, one of which I'm still really good friends with, still keep in touch. She's still sober. Three of which we've lost. Do you know what I mean? And that's, and we're talking like young people, middle-aged people gone before they should have gone. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Due to alcohol yeah. um, and drugs. And whenever I hear about that, when the first one I heard was just horrendous, but you kind of become numb to it after a while because uh, there's so many people that I've lost since not super close to me, but just people that I've lost somewhere close. And it's, it, it's sad, but that's that's kind of what the disease does, and it shouldn't be the situation that we're in. Anyway, I was in there. Then COVID hit, so we were in this little bubble, and we were in this little bubble in in the middle of Blackpool, and we'd go out in our daily little walks to the shop to get it to get fags or or, or whatever sweets, Haribo. And I was doing well. I was doing the classes, and I was really feeling strong about it. I'd been kind of reconnecting with my with the, my, the the ex-girlfriend at that point then there was a little lull in the in the point and I was like something's going on so and I started getting a bit paranoid between my friend who had gone and stayed with and my girlfriend back home my ex-girlfriend at this point um so I was just a bit like what's going on there and they were like oh no nothing nothing we've just been helping each other because you don't know what's going on covid's pretty bad out here and you're in your little center we've just been kind of supporting each other and I'm like Right, okay, I'll take that on board. Anyway, cut a long story short, I came out, stayed with a friend in Nottingham for a month until my flat was ready because she didn't want me back, he didn't want me back. And I, I was like, yeah, that's fine. I need to go and sort myself out. And I'd done 55 days. So I did 28 days in there, got out, came back across the country, which the country was like desolate. It was like ghost town, you know. I had to get three trains across. I had to go to hers to get my car. She didn't want to see me, even though she was like happy I was doing well and all that. She didn't want to see me. So I then went and stayed with my friend. 55 days, and I was up back in Tadcaster, and uh, I'd gone to hers to pick up the rest of my stuff, and she shut me down. She said, basically, no, there's nothing going to be happening between you and me again. And I was like, right. Now, they told me in the rehab centre, when you get sober, do it for yourself. Don't do it for anyone else. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm doing it for myself. I was doing it for her at that point, and that was the mistake. I did it. I, I thought, I'm going to do it. So we're going to get back together. And that was just that mindset in me. So the minute she told me that, I went back up to my new flat. First thing I did was go and get some vodka. So we were in lockdown. My folks were over here. My friend and my ex didn't really want to have anything to do with me. And I couldn't get to the Isle of Man because you needed an exemption to go over there. So I was just in this limbo place. It was a beautiful summer. So I just drank. Do you know what I mean? There was no one to stop me. I was getting my universal credit coming in. I had this little flat. I'd like, I was out in the countryside. I was then messaging them too quite a bit, going, blah, 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 stop lying to me. I know there's something going on between you two. You really kind of think you're pulling wool over my eyes. And I was being deluded in the way that, not deluded, sorry, I was being quite, not aggressive, but like frustrated and getting angry because I knew, like, I, you know when you just know? And then they were telling me that I was being stupid and that I was I was I was being deluded and all that. Anyway, it turns out they were. And that was just like an absolute knife to my heart when I found that. Do you know what I mean? It was like I mean, I was already drinking at this point, but it was like so I went round to his house to have a word. They blocked me on all their social medias and WhatsApps and all that at this point, but I was I just you can't really block people on email, so I had his email and I said, Listen, come out, man. I want to speak to you. Like we've known each other since we were like 14. I need to speak to you. 
I'm not going to do anything, you know. We were like brothers, man. Next thing I know, the old Bill's there, aren't they? So he couldn't come out, but he sends the old Bill round. And because I'd sent more than one email to him, that's apparently stalking and harassment. So I then got taken to Leeds and put in the cells for, it felt like an eternity. There was no there was no windows, there was just fluorescent lights. So I had no idea telling what time of day it was, how long I was in there. I eventually got released. And the first thing, I mean, I had basically had a form of withdrawal in there because that, that's what was going on. I then got back home, managed to get down to the 24-hour petrol station, get myself a bottle of uh wine just to take the edge off i then had a ticket to go to the isle of man so they managed to get me an exemption i got over there the following week um so the police still had my phone so i was like what's going on here they wanted to keep that um i was never formally charged so i got all that stuff back because there was no there was no case to answer or whatever but got to isle of man had to do two weeks isolation with my folks because covid so i did a withdrawal then and then I went out for a walk one day and I was like, oh, this is a beautiful day. I'm going to go get myself just a little quart of vodka and then that'll be it. That'll be fine. Within a couple of days, Dave, I was back on a bottle of vodka, um, like a litre, passing out during the day or the afternoon. Because that was the thing with me. It was always it was always all day drinking. I mean, I'd wake up in the morning and the first thing I needed when I opened my eyes was, was a drink towards the end, towards the end of you know my drinking career, if you want to call it a career. It was it was it was just morning drinking. You know, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd retch, get whatever bile or whatever was in me out, and then and then get on whatever was left in the house if there was anything left. But it was mostly just like little dregs, and then I'd have to go out and get more. So I'm on the Isle of Man, and I'm drinking, and uh, you know, I'm just kind of I found myself in a field one day, and I was screaming, and then I was crying, and I was screaming, and I was crying, and. There was no one about, but if there had been, you know, I'd have probably been sectioned. I was just so lonely, but not lonely that there was people around me, but just lonely in my head because everything had just left. Do you know what I mean? All the thoughts and passions and ambition and everything had just it gone. Don't know if lonely is the right word, but my brain felt lonely. And it was like, what am I doing? Why am I continuing to drink? And I drove up to the northern point. My brother eventually found me and they got me to the hospital to try and get me a detox. And I was like, right, do I want this detox? I do want this detox. And if I get this detox, I'm going to do something switched and I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to make this stick. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd literally at this point, my parents were, were about ready to disown me. Um, you know, my brother and his his partner and, and I'd only just met my little nephew, do you know what I mean? He was only one and I'd never met him before this and I was like, I want to have a relationship with these kids. I don't have any kids of my own. These are my only niece and nephew and I want to have I want to have good, meaningful relationships with people and I thought if I'm going to do this, I need to do it right. So I decided to go into all the meetings, do the 90 meetings in 90 days. So I was doing SMART, I was doing CA, I was doing NA, I was doing AA, I was doing Zoom meetings I was doing the Saturday meeting, which was like the recap thing from from the rehab center that I'd been in. I was just, I just went, and for me, it was easy to do because I didn't have a job and I didn't really have a life. You know, I, I deleted my Facebook account. I basically just stopped using Instagram. I started seeing a few kind of recovery stuff on Instagram before I shut all that down. 
and I did 13 days and then I set up an Instagram account and I thought, I'm going to post every single day of my recovery because I'm going to do it this time. I'm not. I'm going to get past 55 days and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. So I, I added a few memes and this, that and the other to get myself up to 13 days and then that was it. And I did that. I did every day for 500 days, wow. um, which was quite tough in some points. Do you know what I mean? And weirdly, from the 19th of August, 2020, 500 days worked out to be New Year's Eve, uh, 2021. And then, so that was, it was like, I didn't plan the day I was going to get sober. And I've noticed you've asked a few people recently, did you know that that was going to be your last drink? I, I'd had my last drink so many times, do you know what I mean? That this last drink, it, it just didn't, it didn't resonate with me because I, I needed to do it. I'd had so many times where I've gone, this is my last drink. And then it, it hadn't. And this time I, I was, I was so done with it. Um, I don't remember my last drink. I remember. It was probably the morning because I didn't, I didn't get the, sorry, I didn't get the, the librium that time because I was too over the limit. So they sent me home with a note. The hospital sent me home with a note saying he needs to get 50, uh, 40 mil of vodka seven times a day. So my mom had this little glass. She was measuring it out and that wasn't enough. So then I was, went back out on, you know, get, got vodka. So the, so the, the last drink I had was probably one of those shots in the morning before I got then taken to hospital and then eventually was put in Librium. I was in the hospital. And what's fascinating is I don't remember my drink as well, my last drink. I remember waking up in the day and getting that text message. So it wasn't actually planned at all. But this happens in life, doesn't it? You just, yeah. it's serendipity, isn't it? It's like the universe saying, mate, enough's enough now. And like, I will say, Jimmy, I've been fascinated throughout the whole of your story because it I relate to so much of it. It my life was absolute chaos from the start to the finish. And you you must have moved more than anyone I've ever known, like all over the place. But it, it's what's happened now is you where you are for two and a half years because your life has sorted itself out, and it? you've sorted it all out, and now you've got a much more stable life. You seem really happy. I love your Instagram account. Um, you're back into the photography. You know, things are working out now, aren't they? Dave, they, they, I mean, three years now, and my life has never been this good. And it's like I'm starting to I'm starting to see who I was always supposed to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's always been there, like, as a shadow of who I'm meant to be. But now I'm actually being that person. You know, I'm I'm doing my photography. I've got my Instagram account. Uh, I still dip in and every now and then to like Smart or NANCA, but I did stop that after the first year because I thought I've done that now. I've done the recovery stuff there. Now I want to move on to like phase two. I want to start living my life and not just relying on the meetings. I know they're there if I need them, but you know, I've set up my own business. I do, I've got my own gardening business and I love being outside. Today it was absolutely chucking it down, but I don't mind. I'd rather be doing that than stuck in an office. Now, I know that that a lot of mates that work in offices and they love that. Looking back, it was probably a lot to do with that, why I was drinking, because I was unfulfilled in my life, you know. Um, and then relationships, I was, you know, no offence to any of the, my ex-partners, but I don't think I was fully happy. I think I was... So I'll tell you this, Dave, right? I, I, people say, oh, it's my other half and all that and all that. And I used to say that. And I don't believe that because I think if you're saying it's the other half, you're not a whole person. And I think if you're, I was always filling the void. Do you know what I mean? I was needing that other person to fill in half my life or whatever. And I, and I was saying to my, to my, my new 
my, my current girlfriend, my, not my current girlfriend, my girlfriend. I was saying to her this the other day and she, she agrees with me. Do you know what I mean? It's like when two people are whole and, and then they, they make a union with two whole people, there's so much more in that than two half people. Do you yeah. know what I mean? People were that's missing, needing each other to make a whole. That, that, that doesn't work for me. So we're now these two. Oh, of course, there's still improvements that I need to make in my life and all that, but I feel like a whole person for the first time in my life, if that makes sense. And I feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile. And and that's when, you know, I've been single for three years, pretty much. I've been on some dates and it's just been like, do you know what? I'm not feeling this. And it's like, I don't want to just settle. But Dave, I found the most amazing person. And it was when I wasn't even looking, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was organic. It wasn't on Tinder. It wasn't on Bumble. And she's absolutely amazing. And you know what, Dave? She likes me too, which is pretty fucking awesome. Excuse my French, but yeah. it's you know, and she and she takes me for who I am because she understands where I've been and what I've been through. And and that was it. And I said, when she's going to listen to this, I'm a bit worried that like, what she's going to think. And she's like, but that's not you anymore. That's not who you are. Like whatever happened in the past is not who you're now. Who who she's seen every day in front of her. Do you know what I mean? And that's, and I was, that like, was yeah, then, right. this is now. And she knows the version of you now, which is exactly. who you want to be, Jimmy. And, and it's a fascinating story. And uh, we could talk for hours, but I try and keep it within a certain limit. Um, yeah, I know. I've, I know I've gone on a bit, Dave. I hope I've not gone right. Not over at that. all, mate. It's a fascinating story. And I'll be smiling about certain parts of it um, later on tonight because <laughs> I, I just relate to so much of the carnage that went on in your life. It's like, Jesus Christ, you know, that pub yeah. thing, like getting up in the morning, knocking the door with the police and that and the pint glass everywhere, windows broken, you know, like there's so many elements, but there's so many sad parts and, you know, Parts that I relate to is like you poor sod. Do you know what I mean? But you've sorted your life out now. You've got an amazing account, which I'm going to put in the show notes as well. So people can follow you. Um, I'm so pleased, mate, um, that you've come on this podcast and shared this story with us. It's a brilliant interview. I think you're an amazing guy. And I'm so happy as well that you've, you've, uh, cracked this beast and you're living a much better life. You've got an amazing woman in your life, uh, and you deserve it, mate. Thanks, mate. I mean, it's an absolute pleasure to be on. I'm so thankful. I know we were going to do it in January, but obviously life gets in the way, but I'm, I'm so glad that we kind of caught up to doing it again. I, you know, I'd love to come back on and, 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 you know, I know, I know we've done the life story and all that, but you know, if we, if we're ever going to, going to do a kind of head to head or whatever and chat about some other stuff, I'm be more than happy to do that. Um, but yeah, also let's let's keep in touch a bit more. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, like more mate. more than we have because you're an awesome guy. I love what you're doing. If I was closer, and next time I come over, I want to come to one of your social social sober events and and do all that. You know, obviously meet Victoria and and all the rest of the crew down there because um, yeah, it's it's it, you're doing an amazing thing, man. So yeah, thank you, yeah. mate. I appreciate that very much, and please do. And she'd love to meet yeah. you too. So. All right, Jimmy, I'm going to wrap it up there, mate. You have a lovely evening with your lovely lady and your cats. Uh, and let's Will catch do, up Dave. soon, mate. And you, pal. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, Jimmy. Mate. Thanks, mate. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon. And you can also follow me on Instagram, at SoberDave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, 
Thanks for listening and have a great week. 